The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends, and welcome to the middle of May. Uh, I hope it's uh, a good start to uh, the spring for you. Uh, I think we're all getting <laughs> ever so antsy. But uh, as the weather improves, we can at least uh, get outside and enjoy some rays, uh, rays of sunshine. Uh, again, I continue to uh, navigate along with my partner, Jack Hartle, uh, the fascinating uh, world of markets, uh, not just stock markets, uh, interest rates and bonds, which are one and the same, uh, gold and oil and crypto and, oh, Elon Musk on SNL. Unbelievable, uh, you know, almost breathless or breathtaking in, a, in, in terms of, uh, you know, his approach and his uh, posture. Uh, did a pretty good job, I must say. A little Dr. Evil at the beginning and then going into his skits. Uh, yeah. It's funny about the Dogecoin as well or Doji or whatever you want to call it, but uh, buy on rumors, sell on news, my friends. Hey, if something is running up to an event, there's an event going to happen in the future and something begins to be priced and, and uh, in accordance to that event. In other words, it starts to rise. The name of the game, my friends, if you're playing it, which I don't necessarily advise, I'd rather invest as opposed to play. But uh, if that's the game and something is rising coming into an event, you must in and around that event just before it, or at the, at the beginning of it, get out. You buy on rumors, sell on news over and over and over again. But uh, just the other day, Elon Musk uh, said he was no longer going to accept Bitcoin uh, for the purchase of Tesla. Bam! Bitcoin, Bitcoin down 8%. That man moves markets, honestly, like no one I've seen before. Um, he's a he's a unique bird, that's for sure. And uh, like you said, haven't seen the Saturday Night Live uh, skit yet, but apparently it's pretty funny and uh, I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, but the way he moved uh, Bitcoin, you know, again, there's, there's a phrase on Wall Street called a, a market mover. Uh, usually earnings, usually announcements. But when an individual uh, you know, opens up his yap and, and says something that can move a market, it, 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 it's, it's to be noticed. It, it truly, truly is. His concern with Bitcoin now is one of an environmental uh, uh, cause uh, in that Bitcoin is a big computer accounting ledger. And it is live. And as my son Elliot taught me, uh, reminded me and taught me, he's 17 enough to uh, landscape. He said, Dad, it trades 24-7. The, the world I live in uh, trades 9.30 to 4, Monday to Friday. Uh, crypto trades 24-7. Uh, so as soon as Elon tweets uh, or, or, or murmurs at night, uh, it reacts immediately. And it, again, it, it is a bit of a new paradigm. But uh, truth be told, uh, the characters change, the theme remains the same. Fear, greed, excesses, extremes, you name it. Uh, the theme, I will say, uh, emerging for 2021 is one of an inflationary theme. Uh, it's one of a rotation theme. Yes, everyone knows the economy will reopen and is reopening. We don't see it as much here in Canada. And again, uh, I have to confess, I, I did some switching the last couple of weeks. Not as 
timely as I would have liked, but better late than ever. Uh, this theme that we see unfolding where value stocks outperform growth or tech stocks very well could be a two to three year theme, six months perhaps on the minimum, a couple of years at the max. Again, I'm talking probabilities, no guarantees. Tech could regain momentum tomorrow, but that would be a big surprise, I think, to market participants. Uh, I have an expert on, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Mr. Amos Nadler. He's a chief economist at Fabrique, uh, uh, an interconnected system that can transform, hold, trade, and grow every asset you own where everything is digital. Wow. Uh, Amos, that, 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 that really is a, uh, I'm going to say, a large handle. Um, why don't you talk a little bit first and foremost, my my PhD behavioral finance economist expert, <laughs> what you mean by an interconnected system that can transform, hold, trade, and grow every asset you own? Well, hello, first of all. It's great to be on the show as always and great to be with you guys. Uh, in regards to Fabric, what we're doing is looking to unlock value. Uh, for a variety of different assets, both for individuals and, and for uh, entities, such as you could say uh, large um, institutions. That I'll, I'll kind of be uh, a bit vague about which ones we're going after because it's a very exciting initiative. But the idea is that there's a lot of illiquidity uh, in a lot of different spaces. And the ability to unlock that liquidity is based on technology that we're, that we're developing. And so when we talk about seamlessness, we're talking about uh, using, like you had mentioned, cryptocurrencies, using open ledgers, using transparency, re removing the need to to audit um, these transactions because they are transparent, and allowing people to have access to um, to liquidity and value that has been locked up historically. So it's a bunch of innovations on a lot of different fronts. I know that doesn't make a ton of sense if you're not familiar with the space, mm -hmm. um, but that's that's what we're trying to do, uh, and um, yeah. it's been a very exciting ride so far. Well, you know, it's interesting almost because I had the good fortune of going to Paris and uh, in the Louvre we went and had a fantastic uh, viewing of the Mona Lisa. That is a great mm. example of unlocking value uh, in an asset. The Mona Lisa hangs on the wall and it attracts massive amounts of tourists. Um, it doesn't generate cash directly. Uh, it doesn't, and it actually costs a fair bit of money to maintain and protect. So why not to turn that perhaps expense, although attractable asset uh, into a uh, form of monetary trade, shall we say. Is, um, the other phrase that uh, Jack hinted at, uh, is it what non-fungible uh, transactions? Fungible. Fungible, non -fungible I was tokens, yes. Tokens, yes. Yeah, so speak to that concept. Absolutely, so a non-fungible token. Yeah, well, first of all, the word fungible, I don't think I've ever heard outside of economics. So, so it's kind of interesting to see it become kind of part of mainstream parlance. Hmm. But it is a way to have ownership of a digital object. Uh, the, the, and it's currently primarily on the Ethereum blockchain, on the ERC-20. Now, what that means is that you can have ownership, exclusive ownership, presumably because of the auditability of the blockchain, of a, a digital object. And that could be... Uh, JPEG, it could be a video, it could be an article, anything that's digital. So earlier that comment made earlier about unlocking uh, illiquidity, you could be the owner of like watching LeBron James dunk, for example. That clip is for sale, and if you own it, then it belongs to you. Oh. The irony is you could say anybody can watch it. It's not like oh. you're saying you had to go all the way to Paris to see the Mona Lisa, but anybody could see that clip on YouTube of LeBron James huh. dunk. So, so, yeah, so here's one for you guys, and Jack, you'll love this one. <laughs> 
uh, I think one of the most famous hockey photos ever is Bobby Orr. Hey, Jack, flying through the air, uh, getting that goal. Um, how about that? That would that would be interesting, gentlemen. No, absolutely. Well, when uh, when you're talking about uh, non fungible tokens as well, I think you're really talking about you know centralized ownership and then taking it uh, and making it decentralized and being able huh. to account for it. Um, so it really takes these uh, assets, so to speak, to the people. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting stuff. It is Saturday night, my good friends. We're starting off with some heavy talk here about these mm -hmm. new paradigms that the world really is entering. And I, I, you know, for a brief second, I said to myself, did Elon Musk put a halt into cryptocurrency uh, with his environmental concerns about the amount of uh, computing power and hence energy used to maintain the blockchain. But I want to uh, uh, shift over to uh, a very important topic, much more thematic that applies to each and every one of us listening. In other words, not all of us are into crypto and uh, non-fungible tokens, uh, but inflation. Uh, inflation is rearing its head. Uh, we saw it this week in the data uh, in the United States, inflation coming well above 4%. It came in, I believe, at 4.6% year over year. Uh, uh, core inflation, when you strip out uh, food, energy, oil, uh, came in at 3.6%. Much higher numbers than we are used to and have been used to, I'm going to say, for the, the past 10 years. Uh, markets don't like inflation. We are coming into a period... <laughs> Is it the 70s, perhaps, or is it the roaring 20s? Is it a bit of both? Uh, but let's start with the 70s, because that was an inflationary period. Um, uh, Jack Amos, I will start with Amos here. Again, if you're just tuning in, by the way, to Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money, uh, Amos Nadler has joined us. But let's talk inflation right now, uh, uh, Amos. The top of your mind, what, 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 what's on it regarding this perhaps new phenomena that we're not used to dealing with? So people uh, expect inflation. It's whether ex inflation exceeds that expectation. That's really the, the issue here. Now, if yeah. inflation is a word, it's kind of like an average. But if you actually break down the categories, if you could see energy spiking, okay, there's been some major issues. There was a pipeline uh, that has been shut down. There's, a, there's been uh, all sorts of delays, all sorts of factors creating scarcity that is hopefully temporary. But it's not like all categories of consumption are, are skyrocketing. I mean, there are even areas of the consumption basket that are decreasing in price. So like the word average, it, it kind of puts everything together into one category. But if you actually mm -hmm. look at the constituents, so, of course, uh, every family, every household will be affected differently by, by rising prices. Um, well, what, tell me something. Where are you still seeing... Uh, deflationary pressures, in other words, downward pressure on pricing. I, I, I've been talking about shingles for the for the home after re-roof mm -hmm. uh, this season, and my cedar <laughs> shakes are going to cost me a fortune. I got to buy some plywood. It's all over Instagram. That plywood's now a hundred bucks a sheet, uh, which frightens me. But so, so tell me, what what has fallen in price in the last uh, year or so? So we've seen. So education was an area. I was looking at the uh, the data from the. Uh, the United States CPI data. So there, there are a couple categories that have, that have been in decrease. So education, one of them. There's also a retail category, but the average has increased. And the spike right. that we're seeing in all the news, if you look, it's re I'm literally right on the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics website. Energy uh, had a 25% uh, spike, and it's getting people's attention. If you drive a lot, that could be a serious problem. If you don't drive, like most of us working from home, you know that's that's not as big of a deal. Uh, corn's going up, chicken prices are going up. Those kinds of things are going to hit 
just about everybody. It's just an average. We have to look at your specific household and your spending patterns. Going to take a quick break. Uh, get right back to the show about money. We're here to help you have more of it. Stay tuned. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show about money. A little disco for you, yes, music from the 70s. Uh, that really uh, was the last real inflation era. Uh, I'll say of my lifetime, I was born in 65, and I do recall inflation. Uh, it's interesting, uh, being a music guy and uh, used to, formerly of uh, CFMY Radio, uh, hanging out with Alan Cross, uh, you know, he taught me a very interesting point about music and the markets. And he said, when the economy is really strong, people are happy, uh, pop music pops uh when the economy is bad angry music does great uh so you know if you don't like watching the markets pay attention to music uh of course everyone says music taste you know isn't that good uh but hey that's what they said about disco they said it sucked too right uh in fact it didn't disco is great uh well we are an inflationary environment according to the economists and we're blessed to have Amos nadler who's a chief economist uh at a fabrique um Amos, let's talk inflation and how to invest in it. I'm going to say it's not easy, Jack, and I've been doing some work around the space. You know, gold has always been an obvious one, but that isn't even a slam dunk. And then there's TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected mm -hmm. Notes, which are a bond that gives you a coupon or a yield plus a rate, an expected rate of inflation, and there's some funky math around it. I never owned a tip. Uh, again, even tips today, I'm sure they're not paying much more than 1% or 2%. That doesn't excite me. So please, in your opinion, how can we position for this current environment, uh, specifically one where prices are rising? Mm -hmm. Sure, I think that's on a lot of people's minds. What do we do to make sure that we're uh, preserving our wealth and growing our wealth during, during difficult times? Historically, if you look at what's happened over the last you know, 50, 60 years, what asset classes do well? So historically, now uh, you know, I'm cautious not to give financial advice, I'm just giving you the facts, is that in eras of inflation, commodities do well. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it makes sense, right? If you're able to invest in a commodity that has, for example, no substitute and it's increasing in price and it's presumably like inelastically uh, uh, demanded, then it you invest in that, your portfolio will rise. It just, it just makes perfect sense. So commodities work really well. Uh, also, if you're looking at technical trading, there's a trend following. I'm, I'm not a big technical trading guy in general. I'm much more of a fundamental uh, or quantumental type. But if you do backtest a bunch of strategies, that one tends to work. Um, but yeah, as I said, looking at the, the actual economic dynamics of that commodity is important. So as I said, if there is an, a commodity that there is not an easy substitute, like if beef prices goes up, okay, fine. Uh, people can buy chicken. They can buy other meat. But gasoline, which is literally the textbook example of an inelastic, uh, inelastically demanded commodity, is like people don't have a substitute for it in the short term. 
Nowadays, there's Teslas and some other things you can substitute away. And so the textbooks will have to update. But just you have to understand the economic fundamentals of the situation versus just looking at prices and reacting to prices. You got to think it through. And the strategy makes perfect sense with the economic fundamentals um, in the actual economy. Yeah, commodities seem to be the space that seems to uh, grab the natural attention for preserving wealth in the inflationary environment. And and that really seems to be, I think, in my opinion, where it sort of stops. Uh, Copper seems to be the trade right now. Copper is the play for electrification. Uh, And Jack, you gave me that great note from Fidelity. It was a fantastic note, the interview with, I think it was Mike Mark Schnell, one of the portfolio managers. Um, And uh, he thinks, um, you know, off a bottom or off a base, uh, like lumber, uh, copper can can move a 4X. Uh, and he's talking, I think, $12 copper, which currently is 469, 470. Uh, and, and that's basically at his previous peak, so it hasn't broken out yet. Uh, sorry, Jack, you want to uh, uh, share with the class? Yeah, just on top of that note from Mark Schmel, <laughs> he, um, in that note, he was seen as a growth manager, but uh, with this change and this pivot that we're talking about to commodities, He's actually taken most of his growth stocks, uh, again, based on the note, and, and switched into those economically sensitive commodities, which is one of the most difficult things to do in investing. And uh, that's another expertise, I think, of Amos, the behavior of finance side of things, recency bias. Over the last 10 years, we've had very low inflation. Growth stocks have done exceptionally well in that environment. And it seems like we're at a pivot point now where it may be challenging for a lot of investors to pivot from that growth theme into a more commodity or economically sensitive theme. So I was wondering, almost if you could maybe speak to that, how difficult it is um, for investors to change or pivot based on, um, you know, the the recent events uh, that they've experienced. Absolutely. I think we're cer- our perceptions are certainly colored by the past and what's happened recently. Like if something has happened uh, in, the, in the near past, we're probably going to overweight mm-hmm. that thing. I mean, we could talk about crisis, for example, following crises in general, like whether it's a hurricane or whatever, people start to act as if it's suddenly more likely to occur in the short term, even though it is not more likely to occur. It's just that it's now recent and people are highly sensitive to that thing. And it, and it makes them actually even less um, optimal in terms of their behavior, because now they're a disproportionate amount of their attention is focused on something that that is not any more likely to occur now than it was a year ago. Like hurricanes are a good example. But in regards to shifting uh, portfolios, uh, absolutely, it's, it's a different mindset to go out of a, let's say, you know, tech well, oh, I know Facebook, I know Apple, I know whatever, NVIDIA, and to shift into something like corn or like chicken breast am i gonna like you know invest in tyson it's a very different kind of uh you know different mentality but that's that's the point here is to be able to understand the fundamentals that drive those companies i mean even if you didn't understand the fundamentals invest in tech you you would have done well without any understanding of it i mean there's a momentum aspect to it there's certainly an roe aspect that's that that is good from a fundamental perspective but i think investors need to just understand that the world the environment changes and need to adapt to that environment and have a plan, an entry plan and an exit plan. So you could talk about copper, as Wolf just mentioned. I mean, uh, lumber has been very, very good. But think about what's going to happen when, for example, uh, interest rates change and or housing demand changes. Like you have to have a plan, an entry and an exit plan. And that's what helps. I think a lot of people kind of push aside some of the labels we put on the investments and think about the strategies we use to get in and to get out of them along with our portfolio weighting and the order sizes. 
And that's where history really comes into play because even Wolfgang kicked off the start of the show talking about it. You know, we haven't seen inflation since the seventies. So unless you're mm-hmm. studying history, a lot mm-hmm. of the people that are active in the investment markets right now have not experienced <laughs> an inflationary environment. I'm not saying they don't know how to deal with it, but you really have to mm-hmm. go back and study history if you want to um, figure out what the best asset classes are and, and how you want to position yourself. The bond market is not getting too excited about uh, the inflation that we have seen. It already had a bit of a hissy fit uh, earlier in the year that shook uh, and, and really, I think, woke up the beginning of change as interest rates rose this year. And again, I don't think the average investor appreciates the movement of interest rates. Uh, but the 10-year bond basically in the last six months moved from a half a percent yield to 1.7% yield in short order. And that really stopped the tech train. I'll say that 10 times after mm-hmm. the show. Um, and, 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 you know, it's interesting. I, my, my son, Elliot, is uh, working, uh, he's got his first part-time job. He's working full-time right now. It's great. Uh, and he does his last course online and uh, on his cell phone as he's cutting grass. So it works. You know, he's adapting to change. And we, as parents, had to adapt. You're not leaving school until the 25th of June. Well, he somehow convinced us to let him cut grass and take his last course online. So it's actually working very well. Um, but we talk about the markets every morning. It's one of the most... Uh, cherished moments of I now have in my day driving my son five minutes to uh, <laughs> his job. It's, it's great. I get some quality time with him. And he's so interested in the markets right now. And again, investing is simple, but it's not easy. Um, hey, time to change. Simple. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it is, eh? Uh, the other thing that, again, you know, buy low, sell high. Simple. <laughs> you try that. Because when you're buying low, you are by your self no one is there and that's why it is low speak about those two concepts the trying to change and again herb cohen i don't know if you ever studied he was an old sales consultant uh, he said the more someone invests into something the harder it is to divest and it is all gets back to reasons you buy it. people stay in bad marriages for a long time because they've been in it for such a long time that's all they know they can't change i'm not advocating divorce per se, it just shows you how difficult it is to change. Uh, but also by going against the herd, buying low, selling high. Yeah, you're selling high, you're leaving the party early. Who wants to do that? Almost. Mm-hmm. Again, you, you are a behavior finance show <laughs> expert. Talk about those two concepts because they really are at the forefront of my mind right now. I, as a, as a professional money manager, have to steer the ship. I've had to change. And trust me, it was not easy for me. And I got Jack right beside me helping me steer the ship. Oh boy, you really nailed some good ones there, Wolf. Uh, yeah, change is. Yeah, I've been rattled after uh, you, you can sense it. I know. I hear you. <laughs> I mean, gosh, in finance, in our regular lives, I mean, any we are creatures of habit. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, to change, it's a, it's scary because we don't know what the result will be, and people just in general are risk averse. So even when change has a huge, huge upside to doing so. There's a certain amount of trepidation and fear this brain signals to the organism to not proceed. And so uh, change, you know, we could spend weeks just talking about that. You know, people go to counseling, do cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> change takes, takes time and it takes courage. <laughs> and I think people need to talk about the courage aspect of change. The part also that, that you mentioned about uh, buying low, selling high, getting out, like what you're talking about in some ways is contrarianism. And we, again, are evolutionarily optimized to act in unison with other people because there's safety in numbers. You know, we call it herding or uh, information cascades. 
And it takes a certain amount of courage and, and belief to go against the crowd and to buy something when it's beaten down and to get out before it peaks or get out before, you know, before it crests and falls over. It's, it's, it's really contrary to our nature, and that's what separates incredible investors and or traders from those that just get, you know, just have losses because they're following their, their, their automatic instincts. I, I would just so add to that, Wolf. Yeah. Sorry. I would just add to that. Being a contrarian is one thing. Everyone says they really want to be a contrarian, and it is exceptionally difficult uh, to be contrarian, to, to go against the herd. But the, the other part of that that people don't talk about is you have to go against the herd and you have to be right. Because a lot mm -hmm. of the time, consensus is actually correct, and it'll take mm -hmm. things to extremes. But you have to be right when you're going against the herd mm -hmm. as well. So you have to make a, a conscious decision uh, to make a, a, an investment based on obviously a lot of thought and to be able to be correct in that investment decision-making process. And as I almost said, you have to have an exit also as an entry. So it's, it's, it's very difficult um, skill to, to develop. You have to be cruel to be kind, um, <laughs> but you also, I believe, are, have to accept that you're gonna be wrong before you're gonna be right. Because mm -hmm. uh, we all want to be right right away. What's the answer? What's the question? What's the answer? True or false? Yes or no? Nonsense. Not in this world. You, you, you have to be willing to be wrong for a period of time. The question is, how wrong? For what period of time? And that gets down to risk management, positioning, uh, your true homework that you put into it, your belief. It, 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 my friends, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's Hi-Fi Radio. You stay tuned. We're going to work together in this little financial workshop and get better as a group. Stay tuned. We're going to get back with Amos Nadler, Chief Economist at Fabrique. Uh, fantastic discussion. I'm learning a lot. I hope you are as well. We are here for you. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Let's go to the disco, my friends. Well, like it or not, I think we are going to the disco from an economic point of view. Inflation is rearing its head. Uh, welcome to the 70s. Canadian dollar was par. Commodities were strong. Uh, some was going on with oil. Yeah, OP OPEC. OPEC embargo, I believe. Uh, oil spiked. Uh, Watergate. What year was Watergate, gentlemen? Early mm. 70s, Wolf. I don't have the exact date. Early right 70s, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take Watergate to, to Trump. We'll, we'll put that in the same camp. How's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's amazing. The Dow Jones Industrial, 30 stocks in an index. That got rotated through the years. And I can't remember who we had on the show a few weeks ago. They were quite amazed as to how few of the Dow constituents are still in the index today. But that doesn't matter. These names get taken out and they morph into something else. And they don't, they don't go to zero when they lose the index. They just evolve, get spun out, get renamed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the index itself, the Dow Industrials, 1977, uh, 900 points. Today, 34,000 points. That's a 34 bagger. Uh, plus dividends. Yep. 
plus the Divi all the way through. Interesting times, eh? It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, from an investing point of view, friends at home. I think one of the greatest things, and we're talking about history on here, but one of the greatest things to do is to look at long-term asset prices in chart formation. Uh, look at the Canadian dollar over 50 to 75 years. Look at the market over 100 years. Look at the British pound. Look at gold, silver, uh, interest rates, uh, in, in inflation. Fascinating stuff because when you put it into that context, uh, all the noise that we talk about, uh, the COVID noise, the 87 crash, uh, the dot-com bubble. As you stretch time, it becomes but a little squiggle on a upwardly trajecting <laughs> chart. Uh, look, the market's extended in here. The market is ripe to pull back. Uh, you know, All of the work that Jack and I have been doing uh, over the last few months has indicated that this is going to be a tougher year. Uh, I've, I've been saying this for well, five, six months. It's going to be a tougher year. I think next year is going to be a lot easier for various reasons. But the economy is rip-roaring. The market is six months ahead of the economy. So all the good stuff that the stock market has been talking about, you're now going to see it boots on the ground. Uh, but all of that also leads to inflation. Um, you know, a period of time that really intrigues me because I love Art Deco uh, is the 20s, the period of the roaring 20s. Hey, Amos, I could have seen you mm -hmm. float, float the uh, uh, jazz clubs uh, in the twenties, man, you, you, you would have fit in real well. I just, just knowing you as I do. Um, <laughs> have you done Have you done any homework on the roaring twenties, any kind of similarities between today's market and that period of time? You know, it's, it's funny. I hear that comparison made, uh, and people say, well, following, you know, this, uh, the war, the world just sort of opened up and felt liberated and all sorts of social and economic change occurred. And that's true. Uh, however, to, to try to compare what we have just gone through with a post-war kind of euphoria, I don't think those comparisons are apt uh, because for lots of reasons that I don't know if we have time to go into them. But sure. from a, from you know, I mean, post-war there tends to be for for the winners significant gains and like gain path-dependent changes. If you look at the U.S. dominance, came largely out of post post-war um, effects. Uh, that came out of that. So I don't know that we're going to get that same elation, although we will certainly have bumps in sectors that we didn't even expect. I mean, we even saw that during the crisis and how technology enabled us to keep functioning and keep operating, even if it was in a somewhat stunted way. Uh, technology enabled all of that. Um, well, we had, but, but they did have the Spanish flu, which then mm -hmm. moved into World War One, which then ended. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, from building guns and tanks, they begin making the dresses and shoes and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe it's the odd household appliance. Uh, uh, it's incredible household appliances, eh? That's a relatively newer <laughs> phenomenon that we so take for granted. It's unbelievable. Uh, but I uh, digress a little bit. Um, <laughs> so in, in your opinion, is this more like the 70s than the 20s? Well, you can't mention the uh, the 70s without talking about what happened at the end of the 70s. And should we mention Paul Volcker in this discussion? Do you want to talk sure, about? Please. It? I mean, this is like such a like raining on the parade kind of thing to mention. And I apologize in advance. But Volcker saw, you know, this is um, he saw it coming and he said, well, we have tremendous inflation and I'm willing to do something incredibly unpopular and basically end the party by hiking interest rates to levels that are unbelievable. And that is like the coldest shower possible for, for equity prices. I mean, the, the way that you value assets using, let's say, a discounted cash flow model 
Well, the denominator has the, the you know, the, the federal funds rate in it implied. And so all these asset values go to a very low number. However, the good news with, with those very strong policy rules that have that are painful in the short term, they, they have this sort of culling and cleansing effect on the economy by incentivizing smart business practices, awarding those that, that provide significant economic value and punishing those that are on like, they're, they're called sometimes zombie companies. They're running on funding, um, but don't actually provide meaningful economic value or innovation. So I hate to sound like, a, like an economic fundamentalist, but that's, that is, I think, one way of looking at things that if the Fed brings out that big stick, it's, it's going to hurt, make no mistake. However, there, there are positive things that come out of a true business cycle versus artificial inflation with money. The good news is, I'm going to keep this party alive, uh, the central bank has told us for the next few years, they are going to continue to print money and keep rates low. Uh, the mm-hmm. question is, if the bond market takes them into it, because the bond market can, 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 can steer the Fed, the Fed tries to control the market, but the bond market is bigger than the central bank at times. Uh, it could steer the Fed in a different direction. But again, uh, the work from Fidelity, the work that we have been preaching, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, is don't fight the Fed. And what they're saying is the Fed's going to continue <laughs> to stimulate the economy. True or false? They, they are a wolf. They are wolf, and that's their uh, what the market is anticipating. But the, the what almost said there is actually exceptionally important. I think uh, as an end game, because if they do get behind the curve, if they rely on observation as opposed to anticipating inflation, that's where you could potentially come into a hard landing scenario. And again, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. I do think that there's going to be lots of liquidity in the market based on what the Fed's telling us for the next you know three to four years. But mm-hmm. if they get behind the curve, if inflation gets ahead of itself and they can't control it, you have to come in and do what Volcker did at some point uh, and stamp out inflation. And by doing that, you have to raise interest rates a lot more than the, the market is currently pricing in. Oh, very sage advice. Uh, yeah, you are raining. Um, do me a favor, guys. Come over and water my grass. I'm trying to plant some grass seed. And I'm up to my, my sprinkler system. I'm out there with the garden hose every hour uh, trying to keep that uh, seed moist. So maybe come and do that for me instead of raining on my show here. But you know, and I appreciate it. Uh, we have to always be vigilant uh, in the world of finance. Uh, Amos Nadler, uh, chief economist, uh, PhD, behavioral finance expert, uh, but most importantly, chief economist, as indicated, at Fabrique. Uh, friends at home, I hope you did as well. Stay tuned. Uh, we're going to talk to Patrick Ceresna. Uh, he is the founder uh, and chief derivative market strategist at Big Picture Trading. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, 640 Toronto. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, my friends, about money. Let's go to the disco. It's Saturday night, and, uh, well, it feels like the 70s in many ways with the way the markets are performing. I just had this vision of uh, Hugh Hefner on the dance floor. Uh, <laughs> remarkable, uh, the last uh, number of months, the company Playboy uh, trying to unleash value uh, in its brand. Uh, a study was done on some of the most uh, uh, known, iconic brands ever, 
Playboy made the list. Uh, you know, who is Playboy? Uh, but the brand remains, and so they are trying to spin it and uh, unleash value in the brand. Interesting stuff. Anyways, Patrick Sresna, founder, chief derivative market strategist at Big Picture Trading, uh, back on the show. Uh, he's a chartered market technician, derivative market specialist. Uh, he also holds the uh, certified investment management designation, as do Jack and I. Uh, thanks for joining us, Patrick. Uh, you know, I have to. Uh, Say, I'm finding these markets very, very challenging. Uh, there's a big shift going on. We're trying to pivot growth to value. Uh, but these are difficult markets. I'm finding, you know, the Canadian dollar has been ripping and roaring. Uh, things that should work aren't working. Well, it's no should. It's just the way it is. But uh, so uh, help me out here, please. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm calling a friend. Eh? Remember, I'm going to call a friend. I'm, call, I'm calling a friend here. Um, what do you see in this market? You're trading. You, you watch the squiggles very, very closely. What do you see? Uh, what's your advice to position for the year of 2021 and uh, the next, uh, you know, bull market, shall I say? Well, for sure. And well, thank you for having me, uh, Wolf and Jack, uh, on the show. I'm always a pleasure to be back. Uh, so, yeah, we are at a really interesting moment in the market. So, that, I mean, the storyline since November has been sector rotation. And uh, we've had inflation surge, and the trade has been uh, very favorable to the Canadian markets because in the rotation, uh, commodities have done incredibly well. We've been very bullish on commodities throughout the cycle. Financials have been very well, doing very well, and Canadian dollars have been doing well. So being positioned in the Canadian markets has generally been uh, a, a great trade up until now, but really at the, that's been at the expense of um, uh, growth and momentum. And so, uh, and a lot of the growth momentum names, including the large behemoth FANG stocks, have uh, been dragging uh, and underperforming, including the NASDAQ has been underperforming considerably. And so really it's been a story about how one's positioned their portfolio uh, and, and to take advantage of this. But we're at a really interesting moment in the market where uh, I, I'm not finding a lot of leadership in terms of what is going to drive the next uh, short-term leg in the market. The one thing that I want to preface is that I'm a trader. And so when, what I'm giving you here is from a trading perspective, not from a long-term investment perspective. But from a trading perspective, I, I'm looking at that time horizon of one to three months and asking what could drive that uh, market to the next level and, um, and I'm finding it very challenging here to find where, uh, where the tailwind for the market is going to come. And therefore, uh, I, I don't see a lot of asymmetry in, in the markets here, which is, is that uh, it, there's a lot of things that could go wrong and, um, and not a big upside for sticking in. And so I'm raising a little bit of cash here. It's, it's not, I'm not as bearish as I was a couple of years ago when I was on your show, but uh, I, I, I'm making sure I have a, enough reserve that if the market was to correct, I have some cash to do some shopping. How much cash do, uh, would you like to hold, uh, Patrick? Well, for one, I wouldn't be leveraged. Uh, so anybody that's uh, in any way leveraged in the market, that's, uh, that's like the... That's <laughs> you're a trader. I'm sorry. You're, you're making me laugh here. So for ladies and gentlemen, before we go on, for Patrick to hold cash, which means actually just don't have any debt. If he has no debt, he's actually in his mind has cash. 
interesting well, approach. I mean, that, that no, that, that's cool. You, you have to, yeah, like the first thing is you shouldn't be leveraged in any way. But uh, but uh, I mean, holding some cash in 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 particularly. Uh, one of the big uh, issues that uh, that we talk about a lot on our different shows is is the fact that treasury bonds are not playing their traditional role as a safe haven uh, in the traditional 60/40 portfolio format, and so uh, so right now it's a, it's a very challenging to hold uh, a, lo- a lot of fixed income. So generally, I would even say that holding you know 10, 20 percent uh, in cash. Is a is a is almost a, a given at this stage to just make sure that you have the ability to take advantage of uh, a market that if at some point it corrects here you can deploy that money at favorable uh, prices on buying dips. I would the just question, add to that the, 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 the question I have for you, Patrick, is um, <laughs> buying on dips. Uh, when do you begin the buying campaign? Uh, again, as a technician, you can use tools yeah. like your MACDs and your oscillators and your relative strength and your oversold. But uh, again, it, it, it's not, again, that easy. Uh, you know, did you wait for down 8%? You start it down 5 You uh, Again, there's so many different ways of thinking it through that you almost become uh, catatonic with, with informational overload. Sure. So give us your approach. So uh, right now, uh, typically... Uh, the summer months tend to be very quiet in the markets. And so for the stock market over the next couple of months to give back 10 plus percent of its gains in a mean reverting correction, uh, I think would be par for the course here. And and so this is not a buy on dip after a five day little sell off. I think that at this stage, we're looking for something a little, uh, a little bit deeper and a little more prolonged in there. I still think that buying that dip into like the third, fourth quarter will work, but uh, I think that uh, it, we sh- one should be planning for at least a 10% style pullback on the, on the markets. Now again, I, I, we've gotten a few calls because Jack and I wrote a note, uh, or I wrote a note, uh, Jack gave it the stamp of his approval, uh, but I wrote a note, uh, I guess a week ago, and, and, and I, I warned clients that this market looks like it wants to pull back. Uh, perhaps a 10 to 20% correction, which is a pretty big uh, playing field. So those are wide goalposts, but anything's possible. Uh, a bear market begins after 20%, so I don't think we're going bear market, but why not put that in print just to remind people these things do happen. Um, yeah. and, it, and some people were quite alarmed by that. Um, I remind them, and Jack's got the JP Morgan research, that every single year you get a 10% correction. So I advise the average exactly. investor at home, not to, they're not traders, do not try to get cute and fancy. You don't necessarily have to call your advice. Hey, I want to raise cash. I was listening to Jack and Wolf. You could perhaps do a review of your portfolio and see how you're positioned. And more importantly, ask yourself the question, are you comfortable? And can you tolerate a temporary, unless you bought real junk, but a temporary, call it 20% pullback. COVID was a 50% pullback. And if you did nothing, which was the right thing to do, you are a very happy individual. But if you did the wrong thing and got out, uh, we know people who exit markets and they can never get back in. I've seen it with selling their homes, going to a rental, never getting back into the real estate market. And I've seen it with their financial assets to the point where they, they said to us a few years ago of the odd individual, not our clients in general, but the odd individual said, get me out, get me into a T-bill. I'd rather take 2% uh, than, than lose money. Well, we just rolled that T-bill and the return that they're going to get on the next period of time on the treasury bill is zero. Not a, we, we don't get paid on the trade, and they don't get paid on the trade. No one is making any money. And inflation running at 4%, that's a guaranteed way to lose money. 
The world is complicated. So is finance. Uh, Patrick, uh, 15 seconds, final thought on uh, uh, where we go from here. Uh, like I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm not uh, super bearish. I do think, though, that you need to pick the right sectors. So uh, I think uh, buying dips will work, but I think you have to focus a lot on the cyclicals uh, and, and play the commodity bull market on pullbacks. Yeah, I think you're right, Patrick. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, my good friends at home, Hi-Fi Radio, each and every Saturday on Global News 640 Toronto. Uh, Jack, great job as always teeing up the guests. I want to wish you a safe weekend, and uh, we will be back next Saturday. Stay tuned. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.